Hi, this is Susie McGrath. I play Tam Rivor in Star Wars Resistance, and you're listening to Radio Dakar. Broadcasting across the galaxy, you're listening to Radio Dakar, a Star Wars podcast dedicated to Resistance, The Mandalorian, and more. edition of Radio Dakar. I'm your host, Doug Brooks, and this is my review of The Mandalorian, Chapter 10, The Passenger. Uh, it's the second episode of Season 2, uh, written by show creator John Favreau and directed by Peyton Reed of um, Ant-Man fame. Um, yeah, I'll get into the episode... Um, but yeah, for Peyton Reed to direct it was pretty cool. And the funny thing was, unlike season one where I already knew the director's list of which chapter they were doing, so you kind of went in with that mindset. I had heard who was directing season two episodes, but other than like John Favreau last week, it didn't really piece together who was going to direct which episode. So there were certain things throughout the the chapter where I was like, it's, it's a little bit different. It's not how they usually do it. And then when you find out he directed it and you think back on what you just saw, you're like, that that makes a lot of sense uh, from several perspectives. Um, so, uh, interesting change of pace episode from The Marshal, which, is, you know, so many things happened in that one. Uh, a little more low-key here, uh, but we'll get into all of that. Also, um, before I get into the episode, I was going to talk about uh, something I got to do over the summer that related to The Mandalorian. I got to meet uh, Dominic Pace, who played Gecko. Uh, it's one of the bounty hunters on Navarro. Uh, he's seen in the background in chapters one and three. Um, Dominic's a very um, well-traveled veteran actor, uh, it, it, just go on IMDb. He's got an extensive um, list of shows he's been on and movies. Um, and I first learned about him uh, from my friends at Jam Transmissions. Uh, they interviewed him. Oh, it was before the season started last year, so more than a year ago. If um. If you, um, yeah, just look up Jammed Transmissions uh, with um, my friend Pete. And then uh, it's uh, at JT Comlink on Twitter. Um, yeah, just look for the Dominic Pace episode. Um, it was just really fascinating to hear him talk about uh, getting the part and um, just other work he's done. Uh, he's, he's also a big Star Wars fan, uh, you can tell. But, um, Especially with the coronavirus and, you know, it's having to uh, be socially distant and, you know, things are kind of shut down this year. Uh, He did a very cool thing where he has gone around a couple of times throughout the country and toured um, 
like local comic book shops, local uh, collectible shops, and uh, autograph signings and photo ops. And uh, yeah, of course, it's a chance to meet somebody from the show, but uh, he's been doing it to help promote those businesses. And, you know, to remind everybody to get out to the, to the comic store, support your local businesses. Um, you know, the, a lot of the proceeds have gone back towards the community and it's just been an awesome thing. Um, he, he's actually been around this area twice, but I, um, I saw him when he was in Cleveland, Tennessee, which is just south of where I live in Knoxville. Uh, unfortunately, little Han was out of town, um, with with his mom and his brother. Um, so he didn't get to, he didn't get to go, but it was just me. So I just ran down for the day and, um, also got to see some, um, a friend from the 501st out of Kentucky. Uh, they came down to do a troop, um, for the event. Uh, got some local news coverage, (laughs) which was cool. Um, But yeah, uh, Dominic was great uh, to meet him in person. Um, uh, he, he got an autograph from him. He also was selling uh, some cool um, replica items. I got a, a replica a tracking fob uh, that's going on my shelf. And uh, I talked to him a bit. I, you know, I asked him um, you know, uh, what it was like working in the volume and um, how they had everything kind of set up at the studio there. Um, so yeah, just an enjoyable time. Uh, he is, um, I didn't write down his Twitter handle, but I'm pretty sure it's at Dominic Pace, um, on Twitter. He's on Instagram, uh, Facebook. Um, he's got a Facebook group called Lair of the Gecko. It's G-E-K-K-O is how the, the character's name is spelled. Um, but yeah, he, he just does uh, a lot for the Star Wars fans, um, you know, Supports uh, community businesses. Um, yeah, just really cool guy. It was great to meet him. Uh, so yeah, first person from the Mandalorian I've got to meet. Uh, so yeah, that that was something I hadn't had a chance to talk about yet. Uh, but moving on to the episode, um, I did watch it with Little Han uh, when it came out. Uh, he had. <laughs> He had some uh, brief uh, brief thoughts about it, so I let me go ahead and get to that, and then I'll come back and uh, run through the episode for you. Hello, and we are talking about chapter season ten of Mandalorian. So, what I liked about the episode is there was a bunch of these spiders damaging the ship, right? Yeah. So that was my favorite part. And we'll see you later. Sorry, that was a short one. So getting into the episode, uh, we we start again on Tatooine, which I talked about it last week. You know, would we um, move on to the next adventure or does it continue on Tatooine and maybe Boba Fett shows up uh, to confront Mando? Um, that doesn't happen, but we still get some action here. Uh, a lot like, there's a lot of similarities similarities between this and season, chapter two last year. Um, 
where uh, there's an ambush uh, where they're trying to get uh, the child in the cold open and it moves on to an adventure where the Razor Crest gets uh, wrecked or stripped down. So yeah, a lot of parallels there. Um, so yeah, they, they set that the, set the trap. Um, so he wipes out the speeder bike and um, has to fight them off, and you know still salvages. Um, well, of course, you know Tiny, uh, the child is safe, and uh, he still has Boba's armor and all the other stuff he has to carry back. I did wonder, um, were they? bounty hunters because you know you don't see like a tracking fob um, or he doesn't hear it going off and or are they just scavengers who you know see somebody traveling uh, through the desert and they oh um, what is that horror movie so when they, back when they did all that slasher porn um, type stuff in the 2000s I watched it with my wife. It was the one in Australia. Um, shoot. Anyway, it's it, it kind of made you think like that, where, you know, it's just these hillbillies in the middle of nowhere where they set up a trap so that you wreck your car or something happens to where you're stranded and then they attack you. Um, you know, and it kind of had that vibe, too. Um, not necessarily, you know, bounty hunters setting a trap. Uh, but anyway, he has the fight, and then um, the little alien grabs a uh, tiny. Uh, it's the same same alien as the one that is bugging Ray on Jakku uh, when she's cleaning parts at the beginning of the movie. Um, and I, I will say this about the episode: you know, hits home as a parent of a toddler where. You know, one minute you're telling him, you know, don't eat that and stop doing that. But, at, you know, it, then there's a point where, you know, you're worried about their safety and you'll do anything to keep them safe. I mean, Mando played it really cool, or Din Djarin played it really cool. So you wonder if it's, um, did he know everything was going to be fine or was he really bargaining to make sure you know, the child was safe. Um, but, yeah, we get the, the gag with the backpack, uh, the rocket. Um, I, I should have realized then that this was a Peyton Reed directed episode because of that sort of humor where he just causes the backpack to um, <laughs> to rocket up and then he maneuvered, maneuvered it around so that the uh, the alien drops, <laughs> and then um, the yeah, the backpack comes back down like SpaceX style, uh, just lands really well. <laughs> um, this is this is kind of obscure, but it made me think of there was this really bad movie in the late '90s called Vertical Limit. It was about rock climbers, and it had Chris O'Donnell, um, who played Robin, you know, in the Batman movies. But I'm gonna I'm gonna give it away because this movie sucked. <laughs> um, at the beginning of the movie, they're um, uh, climbing rock face, and you know they're all tied together. <clears throat> and uh, like Chris O'Donnell's character and his sister, played by Robin uh, Tunney from 
uh, the craft. Uh, their their dad is a like at the end of the line, and you know they're about to fall, so he like cuts himself loose so that the rest of them will live. And they made the the choice to just like show that they're in Utah or somewhere, and they show like from ground level, and all of a sudden you just see the body hit, and that was the cold open of the movie, and so it kind of made me think of that when you see his body fall. Uh, anyway, so yeah, interesting, um, interesting opening, and then, you know, Tiny's reaction where he just kind of looks over, and then again, kind of shrugs it off like, hey, this is what I had to do. Um, but, you know, he gets all the, has to pack everything up and carry it back to Mos Eisley. Um, you know, we, we get to see the uh, cantina life at night, a little more subdued. Um, you know, the, the droid bartender's still there, um, who, oh yeah, I, I didn't get to mention it on the episode last year, um, during chapter five, but Mark Hamill narr- uh, voiced the bartender. Um, that was his way to sneak into the show. Which, by the way, I, if if you, I talked about it in chapter eight because of Taika Waititi. Watch what we do in the shadows if you haven't already. The TV show it's on FX, and then Mark Hamill guest guest starred on season two and played a vampire, and it involved a bartender. So, yeah, I just look that up. Start watching what we do in the shadows on FX. Great show. I don't want to get sidetracked too much. I'll just try to run through this. Um, it, it wasn't as eventful as last week, so I should be able to be more concise here. Uh, I lost my place in my notes. Oh, yeah, Dr. Mandible. Um, so, okay, so because Lil Han and I watch it early in the morning and we don't have the volume too loud for my wife and our Padawan, um, when I turn on the subtitles. Plus, that way I can catch all the references. You know, I think just based on listening to other reviews, I think a lot of people do that now. So, it comes on, it says Dr. Mandible. I'm like, oh, is that like uh, some vague descriptor like prune face, you know, and hammerhead like they had for the figures? And then, oh, of course, Pelly Motto's there still. And Pelly calls him Dr. Mandible. I'm like, there's no way that has, that's his name. But uh, it was cool. Yeah, I mean, he looked it looked great. I was trying to remember, was he like a stationary background character in the cantina in A New Hope? And then they just, you know, with modern technology, were able to animate him. Um, I, I didn't go back and look, but, I mean, he, he looks like a cantina alien, so it fit right in. It was great. And they're playing Sabacc, you know, to keep that going. And I do like that Pelly won with the Idiot's Array, um, because, you know, that that goes back to um, when Lando was on Rebels. I think the episode was called Idiot's Array. It's in season one. And also, um, they pointed this out on the Mando Fan Show, um, on the Resistance broadcast, um, at the beginning of Solo on Corellia, the kids are playing Sabacc, and one of them gets the Idiot's Array. So, 
Uh, so, you know, they helped Mando, um, um, you know, cause his trail with Cobb Vanth with his trail to Ma- actual Mandalorians went cold and, uh, Dr. Mandible's going to help him out, uh, get him on the right path again. Uh, so then they cook the, uh, crate dragon meat that he acquired last week. And I, I love how they cooked it, um. It's got to be a direct homage to Ronto Roasters at Galaxy's Edge, where, you know, it looks like they're uh, cooking it with a pod racer engine. Um, And, you know, the ongoing theme this episode of Tiny being hungry, I mean, he's eyeing that meat pretty hard. I think it's funny that, you know, Rodian's... uh, or Pelly implies that Rodians like it really well done. Uh, so then we get introduced to Frog Lady. And this is another moment where the subtitles were funny. Like, the whole time they're calling her Frog Lady and it says, Speaks Frog. And, you know, again, I waited till Monday to uh, record this to see if StarWars.com... Uh, dropped any info, but no, she's, they didn't give her a name, so she's Frog Lady. Um, I will say played uh, by Misty Rojas, who was the body of Quill last season. She, I mean, she she's an amazing f- physical actress, but yeah, she's a little thing, obviously. Um, yeah, but she, she played Frog Lady. And then Dee Bradley Baker from um, Star Wars Animation did the voice. then that sets up the plot of and you know the titular passenger um that she has to get to uh trask which is a moon around uh caliban which is um they even mentioned gas giant so we've already seen it in the trailer i'll get to that at the end uh so she has to get her her eggs there to be fertilized so that they can continue the family line and I, I just really liked the conversation between uh, Din and Pelly um, when they're you know, hashing out all the details of the of the deal um, I, I know some people are hot and cold on Amy Sedaris's character but um, yeah, we're kind of getting used to her so maybe she'll be back um who knows if he'll return to Tatooine at any time. Uh, so once they're on their way, and you know the whole thing about can't go hyperspace because the eggs are too sensitive. Um, you know, it sets up... Well, you know, I'm skipping ahead, but we're, you know, the ice planet they land on, I mean, that would imply to me that Well, it, if Trask is one system over from Tatooine, that means the ice planet is either in the tat, uh, like the outskirts of the Tatooine system, or it's the, uh, he's made it to the next system. And then, uh, of course, at the end of the episode, he mentions it's going to be still a, wa- a ways to Trask. So uh, maybe it is in the Tatooine system. Hopefully, when they release that Mandalorian visual guide, it'll have a map. 
which I think uh, they delayed it so that it comes out next summer, so hopefully it'll have like two seasons worth of information in there. Anyway, so yeah, they got the sublight journey coming up. And then we get, um, uh, when they set up, you know, Tiny's fascination with the fascination with the eggs. At first, you, you kind of got the impression that it was like a force thing. Like maybe he uh, felt a connection and how they kind of, when he was like looking at the canister for the first time and touching it, how they kind of gravitated to him. But no, no, it wasn't that. It was just, he just wanted to eat. Um, I did like uh, that they showed how they sleep. He's got he's got his little hammock, and then Din can fit in there. You know, that's the great thing about having it. Like they did it in animation on Rebels, like with the ghost. But you know, it's cool to see how like his basic needs are met on the ship with the refresher, which he calls the privy. But call it the refresher. That's what we're used to now. Um. And, like, the sleeping quarters, you know. So that's all kind of neat. Um, but then the, X, the X-Wing patrol comes, uh, comes in, the New Republic um, X-Wings. And I don't think I really talked about it on the Season 5, uh, Chapter 5 review last year, but I like... It's very underrated, like... The... X-Wing pilots we've seen so far are kind of older and they're kind of bored with their job because it's not wartime. I mean, all we've ever seen in the movies and even with, you know, the animated shows, uh, the pilots are in wartime. There's a chance they'll have a confrontation with the Empire of the First Order at any time. Um, but no, I mean, this, uh, the New Republic's here, it's supposed peacetime, even though, you know, the First Order's cooking something up, you know, they're still hunting down Imperial Remnant, but it's a lot of, yeah, it's just a lot of patrol, and kind of policing, you know, like, I mean, they're basically checking his tags in this scene, uh, but I, I, I like that, because it's new, and it's kind of mundane, but it's like, and yeah, like uh, obviously it's, it started as a gag to get all the directors on the show, but then um, I'll go ahead and mention it. Um, Paul Sun Hung Lee plays uh, Captain Carson Teva, um, or Teva. It said Carson in the subtitles, so I don't know how his last name is pronounced. And um, and then of course Dave Filoni is back as Trapper Wolf. Which he obviously named himself, <laughs> um, but yeah, they're just older, older people. And they're probably just doing a job, and then um, yeah, they just seem kind of bored with it. But it's a new dynamic for the pilots, and I really dig that. I hope we get to see more of them. Um, but just the whole banter. And the, the conversation where they're like they're basically checking his tags and asking about the ship and it's like you can imagine they've had that conversation like so many times with other ships 
And then Dan, you know, he's just trying to play it cool. And there's been some conversation about, because he says, may the force be with you, and everybody's like, wait a minute, he doesn't know about the Jedi. Well, he probably, he just probably knows from his travels that that's something you say. Kind of like, you know, like if you're in Hawaii and you say aloha. You know, it's like, you end a conversation with may the force be with you. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't think he understands, like, the meaning behind it, it's just, he, he knows if he says that, it'll, it'll sound normal, and they'll maybe hopefully leave him alone, which they don't, and the whole thing about, uh, can you switch to channel, uh, um, can you go to channel two so we can talk in private, and then just that silence, and then the S-foils open up, yeah, that, that scene, uh, and I'm sure Peyton Reed had something to do with that too. Just that whole humor. That was great. Uh, then we get the chasing onto the ice planet. That chasing looked great. Like, they have, you know, because for, you know, chapter five, it's just the X Wings show up and attack the station. But here they're actually chasing the Razor Crest and it's got the beautiful landscape uh, into the canyon, you know, unless we're in, like, the when the razor crest kind of skids across the ice. Um, yeah, all that looked really great. So then razor crest crashes, goes down into the cave. And if you'll notice, like right here and then back when they went to sleep, it kind of faded to black and then, you know, the action of the moment kind of stirred the scene back in. I thought that was an interesting transition because we're used to the the wipes in Star Wars and stuff like that, but this was a little different. I'm sure that was um, a directorial decision. So yeah, the uh, the Razor Crest is wrecked in the second episode of the season again, um, and Tiny still wants the eggs. I, I did think it was cute while Mando um, is trying to figure out. Um, what to do about the ship? They're they're they have rations or whatever, and it looks like a little lunchable. <laughs> and you know, of course, uh, Frog Lady's enjoying you know eating hers because you know she she's appreciative of it. But Tiny's sitting there like, no, I don't want, I don't want. That. And again, a relatable moment for the parent of a toddler. It's like I don't want a lunchable. I don't want you know something out of the fridge. Um, and then we, you know, there's the recurring thing about, uh, not being able to communicate, like, you know, because, uh, Din doesn't understand Frog, and, um, you wonder how much Frog Lady is understanding, um, you know, he tries to tease, it, it, it had a very similar vibe to Enemy Mine, which, if you haven't seen it, it's a classic sci-fi movie from the 80s with Dennis Quaid, um, where he crashes on a planet uh, with with an, an adver- adversary from an, uh, another, uh, from an alien race, and they, you know, have to learn to communicate with each other and get along. I'm not going to give it away because you really should see that movie. I will say, for those of you who have seen it, the way the movie ends, 
I wonder if they're going to borrow that ending for the ending of this series. I'll get to that later on down the road. But anyway, that's just an aside right now. I'm kind of deviating. Uh, So, okay, so because of the communication problems, uh, you know, just like trying to talk to each other, uh, Frog Lady does a really cool thing because Zero's parts are still on the ship. She hooks up his vocabulator so she can talk through Zero, and we get uh, Richard Ayoide um, to do the voice again. So now that was cool that she was able to talk to him through that. Um, so that you know speeds the plot along, and then you know just because we got it last week uh, with Cobb Vanth and uh, the. You know, a couple of times last season, you know, it's just the recurring thing about we we've heard the stories about the Mandalorians. You know, the legends are out there, but um, you know, up in everybody's like this is the first time I've ever ever met one. So that that's recurring. Uh, so then it gets into <clears throat> where they uh, go to go into the cave, and uh, they're going to meet the spiders soon. You know, it's an interesting contrast. You know, we've got, like, obviously the the sets. I'm, I'm sure they built the ice cave stuff, but, you know, it's, like, obviously a set. And, um, you know, use of the volume for the Tatooine stuff at the beginning of the episode. Whereas last week, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out how they pulled off, like, the capture, or the, the killing of the Crate Dragon at the end, because that was cinematic in scale. And I mean, it looks like it looked like location shooting, and not just on the volume. So who knows? Um, but you know, just different change of pace this week, which is good. It keeps it fresh. Um, so you know, Frog Lady's trying to use the hot springs to her advantage to keep the eggs uh, good, and, and of course that leads to the spiders, and you know, it's very like. Alien, uh, the movie Alien, um, kind of like that, and just gets, yeah, just a lot of, see, I don't really know Peyton Reed's, um, like, filmography, uh, obviously, uh, both Ant-Man movies are great, some, some of the best Marvel stuff, it's not Thor Ragnarok, but it's still good, but, I just wonder, I mean, obviously a lot of horror influences this episode. Also, I have to give a shout-out to Ludwig Gorenson's score here. I, he, you know, he's been using some different variations on the theme this year. And um, I, I wonder, is he trying to give the child a theme? Like with the kind of mystical, playful music he did this episode? We'll see if he continues with that or if it was just when he's fascinated by something that gets him in trouble. So, yeah, we, we get the, the sequence with the spiders, which I know freaks some, some people out, you know, especially if you're, like, arachnophobic. I mean, it's just, I mean, it made me think of uh, Starship Troopers, of course, when you're just overwhelmed by uh, the arachnids, you know, that sort of thing. Um, it kind of had a Men in Black feel to it, too. And, um, of course, the spiders, and I immediately realized this, like, those are directly from the Ralph Macquarie art 
when he did concept art for Dagobah. And they, they also used it on Rebels for the creatures on Adelon. But this is even more, like, direct. Like, this is what it was going to look like on um, Dagobah. But I can see why they didn't, weren't able to pull it off back then. So, you know, just, like, they get back on the ship and they're getting overwhelmed to make it to the cockpit. I did like that frog lady saves Tiny uh, when he's got the one on his head and he's crying out and it's so cute. Um, you know, I mean, she can use the blaster and she saves them. Um, and you think they're going to be safe, you know, think, okay, they're going to they're take off. And then the, the big one uh, lands on the on top of the ship and is trying to break through. I mean, just a really intense, scary, kind of a different thing for Star Wars, which, again, is keeping it fresh. Um, you know, so that he gets saved by the pilots who managed to find him. And, and again, I mean, this is, it happened in chapter three. He's at a point where, like, there's nothing else he can do. And it looks like he and, and or the child are going to die. But he gets saved by somebody else. So, I mean, he's not like a super, like an infallible superhero. I mean, he, he he's good at what he does, but he, he does need help. And, like, good fortune. <laughs> you know, the force is watching over him sometimes. Um, so that's been a nice theme throughout. But, yeah, it was, it was cool to see um, the pilot show back up and uh, save them. And then we get, um, you know, some payoffs from Chapter 6. We already had Zero, and <clears throat> they mentioned the... Um, Yes, he did help break out um, uh, Shin from the cell, but he got the others locked up and they're apprehended, and you know we kind of get a follow up with them. And then uh, it acknowledges when he tried to save Davin, uh, the Matt Lanter character. So you know then there's a reason there to let him off the hook. Um, so we'll see if that pays off later, you know, when we see the, uh, the criminals again, and, uh, hopefully we'll see the pilots again. You know, some people were like, well, what are the odds that he would run into, uh, Wolf more than once, but, you know, if you're pat patrolling that sector of the Outer Rim, you know, there's a good chance. And I didn't notice this immediately, but, uh, other people did, I went back and listened, Ludwig put like a early version of the resistance theme for as kind of the pilot's theme to set up, you know, 25 years later, which is really cool. Um, yeah, yeah, what he did, it, it was clearly the resistance theme uh, from March of the Resistance, and I thought that was neat. Um, so, yeah, they get the ship repaired enough and the cockpit sealed up uh, to where they can take off and head to Trask. And this isn't giving anything away because it was in the trailer. Um, remember the first shot was the Razor Crest traveling over a gas giant towards a moon. Well, that's obviously Kaliban and the moon of Trask. Uh, because 
you know, at the time we saw, like, if it zoomed in, it looked like, you know, on the racer crest, like, one of the engines was smoking, and the, um, uh, the hangar was open, so it looked, yeah, it had taken a lot of damage, and you didn't know how, didn't know how that happened, which we know now, so, yeah, that's probably the first shot of next episode, and given, you know, that it's Frog Lady, probably Aquatic, you gotta think, next episode is the, that water planet where they're on the boat, um, in the trailer, and they run into Sasha Banks' character, and so, that appears to be what we're gonna get in chapter 10, uh, but that's it, um, yeah, it was, uh, just, you know, listening and reading other reviews, I mean, uh, not everybody liked this episode. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was different. Um, I did like the humor. Um, but I'm ready to advance the, the search for more Mandos. You know, uh, it looks like, based on where they're going, Chapter 10 should be uh, really good. Uh, but I'll go ahead and cl- close it out. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, I can't wait to talk about next week's episode. Um, until then, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Radio Dakar, R-A-D-I-O-D-Q-A-R. You can listen to all the previous Radio Dakar episodes, all the reviews, my interviews uh, with some Star Wars actors. Uh, that is on most major podcast platforms, um, Anchor, Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Overcast. Uh, but until we chat again... Thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you.